0: I had talked to other authors about like numbers and expectations and stuff and it was already far beyond what I had expected and I didn't really have any idea how far that was going to go. I didn't know if it would just be okay well there's a week and it was kind of interesting and then it will just disappear and it'll be it'll have been really fun and, and how cool is that.
1: What Were You Thinking? The podcast that goes beyond the pages of the books we love. I'm your host, Dana Goldstein, and I invite you to join me as we ask authors to share the story behind their stories. Okay, do you ever have that dream where... You get discovered and become instantly famous. That's not something that happens to most of us. In fact, it happens to very few of us. And in the book world, it is even more rare for that to happen. The last book that I can remember starting as an indie published book and then becoming a major success was Andy Weir's The Martian, but this is exactly what happened to Travis Baldry. You are in for such a treat. He wrote this book called Legends and Lattes, and it's a cozy fantasy. You may have heard of cozy mystery where, you know, it's light and fun and there's like just a hint of romance. Well, this is the same kind of thing, but in the fantasy realm. I highly recommend that you pick up this book. Even if you don't really ever read fantasy, I think you're going to find something to love. And especially after this interview with Travis, you're probably going to want to pick up the book because he was a delight. So without further ado, I'm pleased to present Travis Baldry, author of Legends and Lattes. Hello. Good morning. How are you?
0: I'm doing just fine. How are you?
1: I'm good. I'm... Working on very little sleep, uh, deadlines, (laughs) deadlines, but I'm okay. I've got coffee. I'm in, I'm ready for a great interview. I'm super excited. So thank you so much for your time today. I I am coming to terms with the fact that as an audiobook narrator, your audio feed will sound so much better than mine. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it helps to be in a one and a half ton box.
1: Right? Yeah. The sound booth is amazing. Well, congratulations on this incredible success for Legends and Lattes. I Thank know you. It, it took you by surprise.
0: It- Definitely did. <laughs> Still All right, does. So
1: before I get into like the nuts and bolts of your writer journey, I can you tell the listeners a short summary of what Legends and Lattes is about?
0: Uh, Legends and Lattes is a cozy fantasy novel about an orc mercenary who retires from a life of adventure to open a coffee shop in a city that has never heard of coffee before. And uh, it's about uh, changing what you do in life, later in life.
1: Right, because she's 40, right? Yeah, she's in her early 40s. Yeah. Yes. This project, this book started as a, it was a NaNoWriMo 2021. In case you didn't know, NaNoWriMo is National Novel Writing Month that happens every November. And the goal is to write 50,000 words in 30 days. So essentially, write a novel in a month.
0: It was, it was.
1: Uh, And this was not your first go at NaNoWriMo.
0: It was not my first go at NaNoWriMo. It was my first actual success. So I had a a whole bunch of fails behind me on various years going back, you know, over a decade. So
1: (laughs) was, did you finish a full first draft of Legend of Lattes in the 30 days?
0: I did. It took, I think, 26 or 27. And it's pretty close to what you read. Um, I... uh, it was it was done. It was all there. I think I think I during the edit, I maybe added two or three small scenes or like expanded some dialogue. But it's basically the same book. Um, cut out about 2000 words and added about 2000 words back.
1: That's amazing. Now, your writer journey is different than most. Have you always been like when you were young? Did you like writing stories. I mean, your background yeah, yeah. is quite varied. You were, you know, now you do audiobooks full time, but prior to that you were a game developer. So storytelling right. I guess has been a career focus for you for a while.
0: Um I mean, I always had an interest in being a writer. I was I loved English. I like writing shorts in English. Um a friend of mine trotted out like 100 pages from a, fa- a really embarrassing fantasy novel I started writing in high school. Awesome. I was really mortified. Um, so it was something I always wanted to do. Um game development honestly is kind of like in a lot of ways a detour from it because storytelling and game development is not really about telling a story so much as it is let, letting somebody giving somebody else the tools to live their own little story that you don't actually as a developer have that much agency over. You're you know, it's hard to it's hard to tell a real story with a game, especially the ones that I made.
1: If you've got a gamer in your house They will probably have heard of Travis's game, Torchlight, and maybe have heard of Rebel Galaxy. He also designed and developed a game called Fate.
0: Um, But I've always liked books. And when I got back into, when when I started audiobook narration, it was kind of, it was kind of bringing me back to to how much I enjoyed the written word. I, I don't think you've... I don't think you go in to become a narrator without actually liking books and reading.
1: How did you decide to get into audiobook narration?
0: I started doing it on the side uh for my own amusement mostly. My kids didn't need me to read to them anymore. Um I liked doing the voices and I stumbled across ACX, which is the service that yeah. Amazon and Audible put up so that authors can um have their audiobook produced and published through Audible and other, and other destinations, largely for indie, indie authors. Um, and I had some of the equipment because I had picked it up to do VO recording, to not have to go in and do sessions for video game development. So I had a little bit of the equipment and I stumbled across it and I thought I would try it out. And then it turned out I liked it. So I did it on the side for years.
1: I tip my hat too, because audiobook narration is not an easy job. <laughs> Sorry to pop in again so soon, but I do want to tell you that if you want to listen to Legends and Lattes in audiobook, you should do that because, of course, Travis reads it and he does it beautifully and the voices are not what you would expect.
0: It's not, but it's really fun. You know, it's it's there's something really cool about slowing down and actually consuming a book really kind of the way that it's meant to be consumed, where you're not skimming, it's not fragmented. You know, you're giving everything like the attention it deserves, which is honestly sort of special because most people don't read that
1: way. Now, legends and lattes. Where did the idea for this come from? Like, did you have a? So, I want to know where the idea came from and if you had a plan in place before November first, twenty twenty one.
0: So it started out as a joke. Um, (laughs) Okay, I read lots of action adventure stuff for my narration work and. By necessity, narration kind of like takes over most of your reading schedule because you read all the time, but it's not always things that you would have chosen. Right. So I read a lot of the same kind of stuff. Um, And I was joking around with some friends who were in a Discord that I work live in and said, you know, what I really want right now is a, a Hallmark movie set in a fantasy world. I just want something that's like chicken soup. I feel good after I read it you know that it's not all about saving the world from a demon army or whatever it's just but it's got some of the magic and fun of fantasy um and my joke was that I, I was i i wanted to read a book about like a some executive dwarf that she had to go home and save her dad's like failing mine and she was you know getting to know all the crotchety locals and it was kind of cranky about being there but then there was like this really handsome guy with a sweater and cookies and it all turned out really nice anyway that was the joke um but then when national novel writing came up i was like well, you know you know i should i have failed horribly every other time i've attempted this so i'm gonna do things different this time one i'm gonna do a simple story that doesn't have to be like the great american novel And two, I'm going to outline it because I assumed I was a pantser before. And Hmm. so to answer your second question, I outlined the book before I started. I took two days and I outlined it. And the outline is almost exactly the book. I think a couple of chapters got added where scenes got fractured into pieces or I decided I needed a little bit more. But the outline is basically the book. So um, and then I sat down and wrote it. And obviously, I didn't write about the the dwarf and the guy with the sweater. (laughs) but i did end up writing something that was pretty applicable to me and felt really personal to me because i'm somebody who in my 40s did a job for decades and decided to do something else and then discovered that there was like a whole community of people there that i didn't know existed and felt really welcomed and found things that i didn't know i needed so it ended up being very personal to me in that way unexpectedly that was not what i planned to do again i thought it was going to be kind of funny and it only took about a page before it became obvious to me I was writing it in earnest.
1: What did you find that you didn't know you needed? You just mentioned that
0: it was it was people. It was diversity. It was um diversity of experience. So I made video games for decades, twenty some years, I don't a long time. And it's a very kind of monolithic industry that is dominated by mostly white guys. Um And there's also, the discussions that you have in that community are all about the same things all the time. And then moving to audiobooks, all of a sudden there's a lot of diversity of gender and background and race and experience. And the what's important to people is different. You know, you're more important than what you do in a lot of ways, yeah. which is very much the reverse of game development. What you do in game development, it's always, you're only as good as the last thing you did and that's all that's interesting about you as a human being um i mean that's a a little reductive i mean nothing is that simple but at a high level that's that's what it feels like and narration it just couldn't be any different it's it's book people largely because again you don't you don't narrate books unless you or narrate books unless you like books and i i i just felt very welcome and i connected with people that i I, the kind of people that I never got a chance to connect with before. And I just, it was really, it's been really, really positive for me.
1: Yeah. We're a pretty awesome group. (laughs) I will say that (laughs) on behalf of authors everywhere, we are a really, really great group. Uh, Did you intend to publish Legends and Lattes right from the very start? Or did you just want to be like, I'm going to do NaNoWriMo for real this time?
0: My thought was pretty soon after I started, I thought, well, if I finish this, I'm going to go ahead and self puppet because I work with so many authors and I see things or saw things only from my side. So I didn't see what they went through as far as publication, what the process was like, how long it took, what were all the moving parts. And I like to learn stuff. And so I thought, well, I'll just, I might as well, if I'm going to finish it, I might as well go all the way and self puppet. It's so the barrier to entry is so low. Why won't I, why wouldn't I do that? And so I, I decided while I was writing that if I finished, that was what I was gonna do. And I arranged with a friend of mine who's an author that I work for, uh, who goes online by forthright. She writes fantasy romance books, which I really enjoy narrating. And, uh, but she also has a background in editorial. So i just made a barter agreement with her. She would go, would go do an edit on it and I would narrate one of her books for free. So we just did a swap um, and we did it very slow. We did like a chapter or two a day at most. And we did it kind of over the following month. Um, but it was actually really great. It was very educational about because when you when you edit that way, you you start to incorporate lessons really rapidly about like your own personal ticks, uh pet words, you know, your own tendencies. Um, I like to set I like to tell everybody what time it is all the time. Um and so what i started doing was i would go and edit ahead trying to incorporate things that i had figured out as a result mm-hmm. of edits so it was it was actually a really cool really interesting process um but i didn't expect it to go anywhere i just wanted to publish it and that was my goal
1: we're recording this it's mid february of 2023 closely approaching mm-hmm. your 1 year anniversary of i believe it's 8 days
0: away yeah, yeah next or something like that yeah cuz it's the yes. 22nd
1: one year ago, you have been you were very transparent from the get-go on sharing, you know the entire process, the cover, mm-hmm. design, the sales, the you know, the hiccups with uploading the book mm-hmm. and like waiting like it's on Amazon. but where is it on on Ingram Spark, right? Like it processing mm-hmm. processing. Uh, could you have imagined a year ago when you started? Uh, or when you're in the middle of uploading and getting all your files ready that you would be in this place right now it's incredible success
0: god no no not not in a million years not in a million years it's very surprising I feel very fortunate and like I just sort of bumbled into the right place um at the right time and uh yeah feel very very lucky and (laughs)
1: <laughs> sure so, like, and, and it was the right time right cuz you you created this novel it's like what i i call them huggable books they're the ones that when you finish you just you bring to your chest and you hug and you did that with legends and lattes and i know that the response has been incredible do you remember where you were and what you thought or how you realized that holy shit this is actually kind of getting to be bigger than I imagined.
0: I think I had an inkling. So initially when I posted the cover art, Seanan McGuire saw it and said nice things about it.
1: All right, just a quick aside. Seanan McGuire is an award-winning author of Urban Fantasy. And she came across Travis's book in March of 2022, shortly after it was published. And she tweeted about it, about how much she enjoyed it And that it was a cozy sapphic coffee shop alternate universe of a Dungeons and Dragons campaign, a story about finding home and finding family, romantic elements that are not central but present. She said, it's the fantasy novel equivalent of having someone explain their passion to you from the ground up. And it's beautiful and enthralling. And I adored it. And from there, it just took off.
0: And, but again, nobody had really read the book, right. but the response to the that alone was big. Um, but at that point it felt like it was just the cover art because there wasn't anything to read. So I was like, well, at least I, I got a good cover that worked. Um, but then it came out and, you know, I I had talked to other authors about like numbers and expectations and stuff. And it was already far beyond what I had expected. And I didn't really have any idea how far that was gonna go. I didn't know if it would just be okay. Well, there's a week and it was kind of interesting and then it will just disappear and it'll be it'll have been really fun. And and how cool is that? Um, but I, maybe it was when agents started calling me, I had, I had several agents reach out to me about potentially taking it to, 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 to traditional. And that was initially surprising. And then, um, God, it was just kind of the, the whole month was sort of a weird it was a very strange otherworldly experience. <laughs> um
1: And I know you know this is not a typical experience, right? Oh yeah, Hearing... it's not it's
0: completely atypical. It's completely atypical. It's it's just absolutely lightning strike territory. Yeah. You know, so I you you kind of feel like you have like a limited amount of agency in making such a thing happen because you understand how much of that's like the right place, the right time, happenstance gets in front of the right eyes, and how little you had to do with that. Um so
1: <laughs> so how, how did you decide on on the agent that you ultimately went with
0: um i didn't know anything about picking an agent so i just picked the one that i felt like i vibed with the best and it's uh it was stevie finnegan she works for xeno out of the uk um she lives on a narrow boat she's super cool i really like stevie her idea of how the book should go out and like what sort of commitments I should have was kind of in line with something that I felt comfortable with, like as far as like how many books I needed to be able to be, have, agree to. Um, and, uh, and yeah, that was it. I, but I didn't really have any, how, how would you, how do you pick an agent? What do you?
1: <laughs> right. Right. So how was that road to republishing? Like, did you have to do a whole lot of edits? Was it no. like <gasps> it was actually really? very
0: limited? It's very limited because I aggressively edited it. We did. I edited it first. I'm actually a pretty clean writer, um, and I, I don't like to. I don't like my manuscript to be messy. So when we edited, it was already pretty clean. So the initial draft is reasonably close to the final draft. You know, puffiness has been trimmed out. You know, a few continuity issues, but largely it's the same book. Um, but my editor was also very she's very anal you know, retentive and very um detail oriented. And I'm kind of the same way, probably as a carryover from writing software. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so very methodical about about the edit. Most of what changed in it would be like house style punctuation differences. Um, for like like for instance, tour doesn't use N dashes ever. They only use M dashes. So, um, and uh different ways of using ellipses there's the four dot ellipses for a termination of a sentence versus just using threes all the time so that kind of stuff and maybe a few words like I have um because I'm from the south when I say the past tense of drag I say drug (laughs) but you know dragged is more appropriate you can use both but that kind of thing that's the sort of thing that changed it wasn't very much um it was fast it was fast in terms of like time period it wasn't fast to actually get the thing done it took longer to sign the paperwork than it did to write edit and release the book but um as far as traditional publishing going from them signing i think at the start of june to having it republished in the start of november is pretty fast and the us and the uk kind of worked together so i i initially did the deal with tour uk which is of course not the same as Tor U.S., which I did not know at the time. This was all just, I, this is all, I learned a lot about the publishing industry very fast. Fortunately, Tor, Tor U.S. wanted to pick it up in the States. So I was very happy to have both of them and like both of my editors. And uh, Tor U.S. really just kind of hit the ground running and marshaled a lot of resources to get things done very quickly. Um, so it wasn't, and honestly, it wasn't terribly stressful. The biggest things were just getting some things done that had to be completed. So I needed to write a short, which I did in a couple of days for paperback. And we had some (laughs) very fast turnaround artwork for the Barnes & Noble exclusive edition that needed to be done in like a week.
1: Okay, so the Barnes & Noble special edition of Legends & Lattes included French flaps with exclusive artwork created by Travis, an original map of the city of Thune, and exclusive pages from Viv's journal. I might have to try to get my hands on that because that sounds really good. Oh, and by the way, a French flap is just a wider flap that folds over inside the cover and can be used as a bookmark. So, oh, wow,
0: that was there was some there was some fast stuff, but mostly those most things had been done, so it wasn't that big of a deal, well,
1: or it didn't whole- feel like
0: it on my end. I know that they probably had to rush around like a like a kicked anthill to get a lot of things done within the systems that they work within and getting the paperbacks printed in time to be shipped. And I know there were paper shortages and all kinds of stuff that I didn't have to contend with at all.
1: Right. So how this is this is what I'm curious about. Having self-published the book and mm-hmm. then moving into traditional publishing,
0: mm-hmm.
1: how do you feel about losing all that control that you have when you're self-publishing? Like, you know your numbers and you know where the books are being sold and, you know, you can know, you know, everything.
0: um, I didn't lose as much control as I thought I was going to lose. Oh, it's very collaborative the way that they work. So I was initially had this concern that once I did this, it would be like, okay, I'm going to get into a situation where when it comes to the editor and the book, it's just my way or the highway from them. And I just need to adapt to whatever they ask. But it really has not been that way. I really have liked working with my editors and it's been very collaborative. Um, For instance, we just did the book cover for book two and I was on the email thread talking to the artist. So it was not, I get to be hands-on in a way that I didn't expect and they've been really great. So I have liked that. Obviously I can't just go on KDP and refresh (laughs) every day. Um, And I obsessively did that, I'm not going to lie. but. I can also just request numbers and they'll and they'll they'll get them together. Um, and then that's balanced by the fact that I get other things I wouldn't otherwise get. So you get something and you you lose something. Um, for instance, I think there's going to be there's at least eleven translations being done, maybe twelve so far. There'll Fantastic. probably be more. And I would never have done that. I would have never gotten a foreign rights agent and pursued that. So that's something that just wouldn't have happened. I get to be a New York Times bestseller. That's amazing. I -hmm. I would never have been able to do that. I still can't believe that happened. Um, I was able to go to an airport and go to a Hudson News and, you know, Mm -hmm. stealth sign copies of my book again, something that wouldn't happen. Somebody sent people keep sending me pictures of it in Walmart. These are Mm -hmm. things that, again, not going to not going to happen otherwise. So there's these Mm -hmm. trade offs. Um, But for me so far, they've all been positive trade offs that said. If I were to go back in time and right to the same point, I would still do the same things over. I would still release self-pub first. Because I think doing that is the reason I got to that point, that doing a, a well-produced self-pub book is the reason that it became a traditionally published book. And that if I had just taken the story and submitted it, it probably would have sat in a queue for a year and it wouldn't have proven any value ahead of time so it would have been a bigger leap to take so i still would do the same thing again and i got to have the unique experience of seeing both sides for the exact same book which is pretty cool and as a self-pub i mean it was way more successful than i ever needed it to be it was plenty successful and I could it, i'm sure it would still have some degree of success um and i think it probably got multiplied a little bit now by the traditional publishing so i kind of get i kind of get both
1: how much of your writing was was or is influenced by the audiobooks you narrate?
0: Um, it's definitely changed the way I write a lot. And it's all both in terms of what I understand about what I think is personally important, just for me as a reader. Um and also there's some like mental rewiring that goes on in the way that I write when I put words on the page. So when you read books out loud, um you it's very different than reading them to yourself because you're not skimming if you get to a boring part you don't get to just like flip a couple pages and like i don't i don't care about the rugs i just want to get back to the conversation you just don't do that so you read everything so it becomes very clear what you like and what you don't like um and for me i really like a lean narrative that doesn't dwell on irrelevant details and that cares about some sort of human experience that underpins everything and that just became very obvious to me as a reader of audiobooks because I can tell when things resonate with me, and I can tell when I have to get out and push because it feels like it's dragging or it's slow or, or I'm just not enjoying this. And of course, you can't show that what you're reading, so that, that work becomes really, really obvious. So a lot of that kind of flowed back into the way that I write because I'm writing what I think is, what I now understand is most important to me. And then the second part is that as you, if you read thousands of words, thousands of books, or of hours of books out loud, Um, it rewires something in your brain when you read, where you're hearing, where you're hearing the dialogue and you're hearing the narrative in a way that you didn't use to, or at least for me. So, you know, when people tell you that the best way to edit your book is to read it out loud to yourself, I'm doing that while I write at this point, because there's been a rewiring in my brain. So I'm hearing the book while I'm writing it already, because that's what I do every day, which is like a weird... Subtle for me, superpower, it's like I get this early editing, early sounding out of things before the words actually hit my word doc
1: <laughs> that's wild, so you're actually as you're typing you're kind of hearing, yeah, I hear writing.
0: all the dialogue while it's being written, so I know how it sounds, and I know how I would say it because I have this relationship between text on the page and how I would articulate it out loud that I didn't have before, um which is really. Cool.
1: Can we talk about fan art?
0: Oh yeah, I love to I've, talk about I've fan seen,
1: art. <laughs> I've seen. i You know, I I used to make a joke, and I'm sure I'm not. It's not an original joke, but you know, you've made it as an author when somebody tattoos like either it's, lines it's or art onto their body.
0: It's crazy. I think I have a. So I just opened up my folder of fan art. I think I have like 75 things in this folder.
1: That's amazing.
0: Um, and tattoos and sketches and. Marker paintings and uh, somebody made miniatures of like the coffee shop. Um, somebody's making like a Lego version of it. There's just it's it's really, really heartwarming when yeah. somebody shows you fan art.
1: Yeah, because you've obviously touched them deeply enough to stir that creative spark. What's like the wildest thing you've seen so far?
0: Um, I mean, I still think tattoo is is <laughs> wild because anything permanent it's like i feel like a. We- actually it makes me a little anxious it's like wow <laughs> that's
1: a pressure
0: that is like a little bit of pressure gosh i hope i don't screw anything up with this character in the future um the miniature was also kind of crazy because it was somebody who makes miniature like kind of dioramas and the level of the detail they went to was just nuts and just the hours spent doing that is really humbling <laughs>
1: Let's talk about Bookshops and Bone Dust, which is, it's a prequel. It is. But with different characters, I'm I'm led to believe. It's got
0: several repeating characters. It's a prequel that involves Viv. Okay. Um, It's when she's much younger. So the the premise of Bookshops and Bone Dust is that uh, at the start of her adventuring career, Viv, who's the work from the first book, Legend of Lattes, she's in her early 20s. Um, she's still very much an adventurer she's with her first kind of like it's kind of like her first big break she's with this crew of mercenaries and they're hunting this necromancer and she's really headstrong and she gets wounded and they dump her off in a really crappy beach town to heal while they go and get about their business and they'll swing back by and pick her up later so she's thwarted and she's frustrated and um she's stumping around and immediately runs afoul of like the local law enforcement and um Then she befriends this very foul-mouthed owner of a failing bookshop. Excellent. Um, And so it's largely about like the little things that happen early in your life that you don't understand are going to change it later. Like the people that you meet and the experiences you have Mm -hmm. that you don't appreciate at the moment. But then like down the line, all of a sudden, it turns out that they were a really big deal. And it's also about books and how we relate to people with books and stories and how they connect us in ways that allow us to see each other in ways that we wouldn't otherwise do. And um, it was not the book I thought I was going to write. i read three other books that I threw away on the way (gasps) to writing it. Really? Um, But I I liked how it turned out. And it, it interlocks with the other book, but stands alone. And I think it works. So I'm in the middle of narrating it right now, actually. I'm... I will finish narrating it probably early tomorrow so um, the other
1: the other three books that you threw away
0: mm-hmm.
1: why did you toss them
0: um so what i was originally going so when uh we made a deal with tor it was for two books the original book and i was going to write one more and i already knew what it was and i told them what it was and i was very pleased with myself and it's it's basically fantasy murder she wrote it's about this um um uh, 500 year old elf and she's a professor of, um, of Islamic forensics. So she basically is, you know, crime investigator with magic. Um, okay. and she worked at a university and that's what she taught. And it was going to be set in the same city. And it was going to be set on the acres, which is the magical university. And you were going to learn how magic worked and you were going to learn about kind of like this, you know, how the, the, how the, um, the criminal underbelly of the city worked and the law worked and she so the idea is that she was this professor she got passed over for the deanship even though she had seniority and was the obvious choice and so she quit and left and became like a romance novelist in another city um and then the dean that she was passed over for um gets murdered in some really bizarre way and so they call her back in to investigate it and she's just like she hated the guy anyway. So she's if she finds whoever it is, she just shake their hand. So she comes back to the city. And it's about her starting basically her own like private investigation service. And it's in like this old, uh, it's in the, it's above this old like student bookshop that she used to like when she was a student, and she's got her kind of affable Hembo guard along. And I, I knew exactly what I was gonna write, I had the outline, it was like a huge, dense outline. And I wrote about 20,000 words of it and I hated it. (laughs) I just hated it because it all felt very mechanical to me. It was like, I got to get this person here to do this thing so they can find out this. And the plot, the plotting took over the story for me. And I care more about the people and they were all drowning in the plot. And there was also, so everybody says the second book is the hardest. And for me, it definitely was so far, you know, maybe the third book is the hardest for me, I don't know. But so far, the second book is definitely was infinitely harder. And it was, it took me three books to figure out how I felt about things and what that meant. So I couldn't tell, I felt terrible about the book I was writing. I just had this unease constantly. And I couldn't tell if it was because it was a follow up book to be a book that people liked. And now I had expectations. And I was worried about not meeting those expectations mm-hmm. or if it was just because there was something wrong with the story. And I could not untangle those feelings and figure out which was which. So I couldn't tell if my doubt was legitimate or not. Um, and, but it was so strong that eventually I said, I just, this is not, I don't like this. I just don't like it. Um, And then I was terrified and I went and told my editors and they're like, oh, it's okay. It's okay. you got time. Um, and so then I started over frantically trying to like, cobble together something that I thought worked and each one got, you know, maybe 10,000 words in and I was like, no, this isn't it. Uh, yuck. <laughs> and threw them away. Um, and this is the one that stuck. And it also let me figure out that yes, there was something with those stories that was not working for me. Still, I felt my unease about like, maybe nobody will like this. And I still feel that, but it's a very different feeling than, Oh no, something's fundamentally wrong with this story that I need. Um, so that's a valuable thing to learn <laughs> that that I understand what that feeling is now. Um, and for me, at the root of it, there has to be some, for me to get to the end so far in my massive sample size of two completed books, is that there has to be some like experiential touchstone, something that I've experienced or I understand innately as a person that is like key to the book. The plot has to resonate with that in some way and is secondary to the people and that feeling and so if i can find that feeling then i think i can find my way through to the end of the book i hope
1: why did you decide to go with a prequel instead of a sequel
0: mostly because that fit the feeling it fit the feeling of like these things that i didn't understand were going to be important to me and feelings that i have really strongly about books as being being a narrator and like being able to connect with people and understand people based on the kind of things I read in books, and that even kind of doubles back on my my realization of what was important to me in the book is what's the human relatable thing that is like a way of seeing other people that I discovered that was what is important to me in the book, and then that's literally half of what the book is about, and it just happened to fit in because I know I knew from Legends and Lattes that Viv was a reader, but why why? Why, why did, why did she become ah, that person? okay. And
1: what Excellent. would have,
0: what would have, what would have, you know, what were the, and I was thinking like, what were the things in my life that made me want to be a narrator later? I was, I never wanted to be an actor. I, if you had told anybody at any other time that I wanted to be an actor, they would have laughed at you. <laughs> the industry of audiobooks didn't even exist when I was a kid. I couldn't have dreamed of doing it. Right. So, but there were things obviously early in my life that were formative that made that an option for me later. And that caused this massive change in my life. I wouldn't have written this book. I wouldn't be talking to you right now if it hadn't been for those things. So those things were important and relatable. And I know that other people experience things like that. So that was something I could write about. And Viv fit in with that. So that's that's how we ended up there. What a messy road.
1: <laughs> but that's what makes it so interesting. What has been some of the uh, feedback from readers? Like, Do you read reviews?
0: I do. I do. So I, after making video games for 20 years, I'm pretty much immune to snarky reviews. Right. That's best of skin. So I read them all. Yeah. Honestly, there's just, they've most, they're mostly nice. If anybody's got a, if everybody's got a quibble, it usually tends to be either. They're not okay with gay people, which I discount (laughs) immediately. I don't, I don't care about those reviews or they really want more stakes in their book and that's fine that's fine because everybody needs different things out of books, I, which is why I put like the title, it's a low stakes book on the book. I want you to know what you're getting. And if you don't want it, you know, cool. It's not the book for you right now. Okay. Um, and also I'm not, I'm not foolish enough to think that everybody has the same shared experiences or is going to resonate with the same things. That's okay. So I'm just not, I don't know. I'm not bothered by that kind of thing.
1: <laughs> Do you find that now the ideas for the next project are coming faster?
0: Not really. Mostly because I'm not even looking at it. Um, So I'm trying to take this year and not write anything because Mm -hmm. it's writing books has really required a lot of changing of my life um, because I did not schedule for this. So as a narrator, I'm scheduled usually about three years out. So my life is pretty (laughs) calendar full. right? Um, And I didn't leave room for doing a different career at the same time so this year and going forward it's been kind of like i have to figure out some way to make this work so i can keep doing it because i like it i have some vague ideas i have some thoughts but i have been trying to just let them sit and not make it like a job for me to do right this second so i'm open to stuff coming to mind and forming things together and i have like little bits and pieces but so am not pushing i'm not pushing
1: when you were working on uh well we know legends and lattes was a naNoWriMo but mm-hmm. um bookshops and bone dust when did you fit that into your day when did you do your writing
0: in the evening i worked had some dinner did stuff with the kids came back downstairs and wrote and i would do a chapter for a day
1: and how long and it did it take you to than, write that
0: um i think bookshops and bone dust was a month and a half
1: wow that's excellent uh, discipline
0: Um, I think I kind of have to do that probably because otherwise I'll lose the momentum and the thread. Um, I need to treat it like a job with deadlines. I'm a very deadline oriented person (laughs) and I knew I'd already wasted time that I didn't expect to waste. Okay. Maybe waste is not the right word doing the other books because I had already spent, you know, a month and a half going through three books that I wasn't going to finish, um, I did harvest a lot from those books. So they weren't really a waste. I learned a lot about myself and there were characters and ideas and thoughts from those books that got extracted and transplanted to the book that I did write. That was great, but it didn't feel great at the time.
1: I bet. What is the most astonishing thing to you about your whole journey from November 2021
0: to now? I have huge imposter syndrome about it, but just feeling like i'm a published author that people want to read another book from at all that 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 the new york times thing is pretty astounding i'm not gonna lie that's pretty ridiculous yeah
1: okay so when tor books republished legends and lattes it debuted at number 13 on the new york times bestseller list
0: especially given that it was like seven months after the book came out that just feels crazy to me the fact that it that it's on like an indie bestseller list and still is is just crazy to me the fact that i can just walk into a bookshop and the book's probably there is crazy to me that's just all feels insane and you know unimaginable and i'm still surprised by it constantly
1: well wow. congratulations on this remarkable success it is earned it's a fantastic feel good book you nailed the Hallmark part um and I'm looking forward to the next to to uh, bookshops and bone dust for sure. Travis, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate how candid you've been with this with your journey. Thank you so much. Well, friends, that brings us to the end of another episode of What Were You Thinking? You can find out more about Travis by visiting his website, travisbaldry.com. I'll put a link in the show notes. But you really want to follow him over on Twitter at Travis Baldry. There you can see all the fan art, everything that he shares, and uh, all the wonderful things people have to say about legends and lattes. Once again, thanks for giving me your ears.
0: So, what are we playing for? Would you be interested in a little game to pass the time? Sure, that sounds pretty good. Wonderful. Shall we begin? Let's see what you got.